Take your Bibles, please, this morning and find the book of Acts. The book of Acts in chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. We'll begin right there. Verse 6. I'm going to read a couple of verses here and then flip over to chapter 2 and read some there. All right? Great missionary text, of course. Acts 1. I'm going to begin at verse 6. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power. I want you to just take that word in now. You will receive power. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth, all the way to Jackson, Mississippi. Turn the page now to chapter 2, verse 1. Look at 2.1. This is the fulfillment of what Jesus just spoke of in chapter 1. Wait in the city. Holy Spirit's going to be poured out on you. All right, here we go. Here's what happened. When that happened, verse one, and when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting and divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews and devout men from every nation under heaven. Mark that. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, are not all these who are speaking Galileans, you know, from up north, those Yankees? Jerusalem's way down south. And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia and Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia and Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of of God. Hold on to that. The mighty works of God they're talking about. I can guess what some of you are thinking this morning. This guy from Virginia must be crazy. What he comes to a church like this, deep south, doesn't he know we're all Presbyterians? Presbyterians don't like this kind of stuff. He reads a text about tongues. What's that all about? Why in the world would he choose choose a passage like this? That's bound to have crossed your mind. Now, I can appreciate that kind of response in lots of ways. I've been preaching for quite a while, and frankly, I've never preached on this text, so this is actually what's happening. I'm going to run this past you and see how y'all like it and see if it'll fly in Virginia, all right? So you let me know how it goes. Seriously, what, what drew me here? I'll tell you what drew me here. It's your theme verse. It's your fault. (laughs) That's what drew me here. Your theme verse from 1 Chronicles 16 goes like this. You've seen the posters all over everywhere. I've seen them. I've seen my picture everywhere, too. Whose idea was that? Holy moly. 
I'm surprised you came. Here's your theme verse. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. Currently, I'm, I'm uh, doing a series at, at Westminster in Virginia on the Holy Spirit. Been doing it since early January. So my mind has been there. I've been reading about the Spirit and giving it some thought and praying a lot about the Spirit. And so when I connected your theme verse with the Holy Spirit, it brought me to Acts 2. Here there are Jewish people from all over the Roman Empire. Luke tells us from every nation under heaven. And they've come to Jerusalem for a feast, a Jewish feast. It's called Pentecost, 50 days after Passover. It's kind of a harvest celebration. And all these folks from all over the empire, they speak different languages. So here's what God does. He supernaturally gives his disciples, these disciples of Jesus who've gathered, the ability to praise God, to declare his marvelous works in all of these languages represented by this crowd of folk in Jerusalem. And look at what they're saying, these disciples filled with the Spirit. Look at verse 11 again. Draw your attention. Look at verse 11. Both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, We hear them telling in our own tongues, here it is, the mighty works, help me, of God. That's what they're all saying. The mighty works of God. That sounds to me a whole lot like your theme verse this festival, doesn't it? First Chronicles 16 declare his mighty or marvelous works among all the peoples, all the nations. You see the connection? The same idea. In fact, I think there are beautiful, rich, deep connections between 1 Chronicles 16 and Acts 1 and 2. And that's what I want to focus on this morning with you. Connections that I think will help us better see our mission, live in our mission, and live out our mission. All right? So that's my goal today. Let's make these connections. And I want you to be greatly encouraged and challenged and inspired today to take up this crusade. So let me try to set it up for us. Let me begin like this. Picking up on your theme verse. First Chronicles 16 contains a psalm written by David just as he's fully established as king. You've got to hold on to that now. He's just been established as king. He's entrenched as king. His predecessor Saul has been killed in battle, if you know the story. Now David, who becomes Israel's king par excellence, is now king. Within this psalm that he writes is your theme. He pens these words, declare his glory among the nations. David wrote lots of psalms that praise God and declare his his glory. But the setting for this one that you've chosen in 1 Chronicles 16, the setting for his writing it, is vital for us to grasp. Here's why. He's conquered Jerusalem. David has. All the people were living there. So he conquers the city, moves his whole kingly court to this city, takes up residence there, makes Jerusalem his capital city. And then he does something that is packed with powerful symbolism. And you've got to grab a hold of this now with me. Here's what David did. He brings up to the city, Jerusalem's on a mount, so you send up the city. He brings up to the city what was called the Ark 
of the Covenant. Have you heard of that before? The Ark of the Covenant. It's not a boat. It's a box. And it's a box about yay long, about four feet long, two feet wide, two feet high, overlaid with pure gold. Now, this is what's significant. It is the most important piece of furniture in the tabernacle. So he brings this golden box up the mount, places it inside the tent, the tabernacle. And we are to understand this. This was the place in the tabernacle where God met with his people, specifically right above the box, the golden box, the Ark of the Covenant, is where God met with his people. On either side of the box, there were statues, images of angels. One angel here, one angel here, also overlaid with gold. In the depicting, copying, being a copy of the presence of God in this dimension called heaven. So surrounded by his heavenly court, we have already sung about it this morning, the seraphim, the cherubim. So you got an angel here, an angel here. Right, right in the middle of the box between the two angels is a space that has a specific name. Do you know what it is? It was called the mercy seat. Exactly. Here is where the high priest, one man, one dude, one time a year, would go into this perfect cube called the most holy place and he would take blood and he would always take with him a censer of, um, of uh, 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 incense so smoke would rise so he couldn't see the glory of God. It protected him. And he would take the blood and sprinkle it on the mercy seat. God said, there your sins will be atoned for. There on that mercy seat is where I will meet with you. There my presence will be there. This is where heaven and earth will meet the mercy seat. So, when David brings the ark up to the capital city, (laughs) I bet you can guess, it's a pretty big deal. It's a really big deal. I mean, there's a giant celebration. There's a huge, grand, loud celebration. In fact, the choir is singing. The musicians are playing. I bet they got violins there. They probably didn't have violins back then, did they? They had lyres back then. I know that. That's L-Y-R-E-S. They had cymbals playing and trumpets blowing. All of that was happening. And they sang the psalm that David had written for this very occasion. From which you get your theme verse. Here's what they were singing. I don't know the tune. I can't sing it for you. But something like, Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. That's what they're singing. As the ark comes up to the capital city. The nations declare his glory. That's beyond the borders of Israel. The nations, the Gentiles, <laughs> most of you folk, in other words, declare his glory among the nations. So David beckons his people to talk about God so that all the nations could hear about it. Here we are in the great state of Mississippi. Anybody want to say amen to that? Amen. I was here back in 1972, long time ago. I know I don't look that old, but I am. Rode my motorcycle through part of this state back then. 
Jackson, Mississippi is a long ways from Jerusalem. I don't have to tell you that. In fact, I looked it up. 6,750 miles by air. Some of you perhaps have been to Jerusalem. So we are a long ways from where your theme verse was composed. Long ways. Lots of time zones you go through there. Not only that, we are far removed from David's time. Almost 3,000 years those words were written ago. So you tell me this. How in the world? We take it for granted. We come here on the Lord's Day. You do. We do it in Virginia. And we sing God's praises and we hear somebody preach and we share and so good to hear from the missionaries today and others. And how in the world is it that here you are in Jackson, Mississippi, you are telling the glory of God? You're singing about it? I'm preaching about it? You're speaking about it? A responsive reading? How is it? How did it happen that what David wanted you to do, you're doing? Declare his glory among the nations. We be the nations. <laughs> you with me? How did it come to pass? That you're doing this this morning, sitting here in Jackson <coughs> or Ridgeland, I guess you, should, you would say. How did it happen that you now can fulfill what David longed for 3,000 years ago? A long ways away from here. <coughs> there are two stages, I think, that happened that brought it about so that you could be here this morning in this comfortable sanctuary in your comfortable seat here's stage number one here's it here it is this happened a new king after david was eventually crowned greater than david but part of his seed in fact he is king david's greater son jesus was raised from the dead he ascended up to heavenly jerusalem the earthly tabernacle was just a copy of that. Heavenly Jerusalem is where he is. This dimension we called heaven, not so much a long, long, long ways away, but just in another dimension we can't see. He is there, and he's been given a throne, a throne like David's, but greater than David's. That's why you're here. And there's no golden box anymore. It's not here, not in Virginia, not anywhere. There's no golden box. Here's why. Something happened. All of that's now been superseded. The story has reached a new climax. Jesus is now our mercy seat. Jesus is now where our sins are forgiven. Jesus is now where heaven and earth meet. Jesus is now the presence of God in human flesh. Jesus is now the place where God says, okay, I will meet you right there. It's in Christ. That's happened. Since David wrote that song, after Jesus died on the cross, was raised from the dead, he ascended to his father's right hand, and he received from his father a place of great power and authority. And here's what's critical to understand, to connect 1 Chronicles 16 with Acts 2. Now we've, we're, we're moving forward here. Here's what's critical. When Jesus was crowned king, raised from the dead, Father's right hand, he's crowned king there. When he was crowned king, like David and like the other kings, he shared the spoils of his, of his victory with his people. Now listen, and the greatest gift he shares with us, you and me, the greatest gift is, is his Holy Spirit. It is his spirit. 
It is the spirit of the living God. And here's why. Because the spirit is nothing less than the very presence of the resurrected Jesus himself. You get that. I get that. His spirit, his presence. That's why the spirit has been given to us. Christ is at the right hand of the Father. He's no longer physically here. One day he will return. But here, he's not here now. And yet he is here now because his spirit is here. Let me say it like this. You know, sometimes, I'll just say it. I'll just be frank. Non-Pentecostal, non-charismatic people get freaked out over the word experience. And we shouldn't. We should not. That's a good word. The Spirit enables the Christian to actually experience Christ's presence right here, right now on this planet in Jackson, Mississippi. That's what the Spirit's given. That's what He gives to us. That's what He shares with us. He says to his disciples, I'm leaving you, but I'm going to give you another one like me. And when he comes, I will come to you. It will be my presence with you. Praise God for that. It's a wonderful thing. The church should rejoice all the time for that. Jesus is gone. Yes, we long for him to return. Come, Lord Jesus. But praise God, he sent his spirit now to be with us. So that we can encounter him in a real way, not just a head way, not just a theological notion way. Let me use the word again. So that we might experience the resurrection power of Jesus right now. My wife and I dated for three years before we got married. Finally, I gave in and said yes. (laughs) But the first year we were dating, I was in college, uh, five hours away at... Virginia Tech, she was back home, 250 miles separated us, and it wasn't easy. Many of you have been in that experience before, perhaps you're in it now. You've you've got a loved one who's a ways away. Now, when you're separated, now now we got Skype and FaceTime, but we didn't have that back in the Middle Ages when I was growing up. She gave me a couple of pictures of herself, and I treasured them when I was in school, separated from her. We used to write like real handwritten letters. Have you heard of that? And we would put them in the mailbox and they would send them. We had a phone. But for me, the phone was, you know, second floor of Lee Hall there, down the hall. And you had to stand in line to use it. So we treasured all of that. But none of those things, as good as they were, the phone or the letters or or pictures, none of that could replace, you know what I'm saying, her presence. And for me to be in her presence, I had to actually be with her, right? Actually, I mean, that makes sense. <laughs> I got to be there physically. She has to be there physically. And so those weekends when she would come up or I would go down, I mean, they were, they were magic. Not so with Jesus. It doesn't work like that with Jesus. I mean, yeah, but no. Jesus is not here physically, but he's here. Spiritually, because that's exactly what the Spirit does. The Holy Spirit brings to you and me His presence, and it's real. And it's real. And it's here. That's why He gives His Spirit. 
Now, if indeed the Spirit brings to us the very presence of Jesus, that we might experience the very presence of Jesus, then all kinds of things can happen now. And you should take heart, Christian. And one of those things is this. And here's stage two of how it is that you're praising God this morning, declaring his glory. Here it is, stage two. The Holy Spirit has been poured out so that the church might declare God's glorious works, which is what you're doing. The Spirit has been poured out so that you can stand up in this service and sing about his glory. I can preach about his glory. You can listen. You can respond. You can speak and talk about his marvelous works. The Spirit has been given for that very reason. So the church and individuals also, wherever we're scattered, and to talk about the mighty works of God today, culminates in what God has done in Jesus. That's where his mighty works are especially found in Christ so that we can talk about him. <clears throat> Go back to chapter 1 and verse 8 of Acts. Look there with me again. 1-8. Turn back there, would you? 1-8. Look at what Jesus says here. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be what my witnesses do you see that not just witnesses but my witnesses that word witness it means to speak to talk to use words about <laughs> to advocate for and it's to speak and to talk and to advocate for jesus my witnesses that's why the spirit is given so that you and i can talk now, we do lots of other things as we serve Jesus, but I want, you to, I want you to see this. Here and all through the book of Acts, one of the really major ways in which the Spirit works is through our lips and our tongues, talking, inspired speech, talking about Christ. You may have heard this quote before from a Francis of Assisi. It's sort of famous. He says, or he said, preach the gospel at all times. If necessary, use words. You heard that one before? All right, and I get that. I understand. Okay, so all of our lives and all of our living is a form of preaching. True, true. If necessary, use words. And I want to say this. Francis, are you listening? <clears throat> the Spirit comes very much so that we can use words. You shall receive power, and you shall be my witnesses. Read the book of Acts and see what happens. It's speech, it's word, and indeed it is deed. Powerful things happen. Unusual things happen. I spoke of Virginia Tech earlier. <clears throat> Let me talk about it a little bit more. I did not grow up in a Christian home. I know lots of folks think preachers... Grew up, you know, with a silver spoon in their mouth and always around spiritual things, and that's who they are. But I grew up in a home that we attended church every week, but the church that we attended didn't really talk much about Jesus. Just kind of a bunch of do-goodism stuff. But anyway, so I go to Tech. I mean, within two days after arriving, I go across the hall, Lee Hall, and I'm in, this, in the room with guys who live across the hall. I don't know them. And we start talking. Within five minutes, one of those dudes says to me, so Ruffin, are you a Christian? So 
I've never been asked that question before in all my life. I was a little bit offended by it. I said, of course I am. I'm an American. What do you think I am? <clears throat> well, I didn't know it at the time, but I wasn't a Christian. But here's what God did. He used those two guys, especially one of them, over a period of about a year and a half, just speaking a word in season. Bothered me tremendously. I didn't like listening to that dude. I tried to be nice, but I didn't really want to listen to him. I mean, him and his whole religion and Christian and Jesus stuff. I mean, I was into the whole hippie thing back then. Flower child and all that stuff. But God used the words from that man's mouth. And he was the biggest nerd I knew. God used the biggest nerd I knew to take his word into my heart by the power of his spirit. And I came to Jesus. And it was pretty remarkable. My wife, pardon me, the, the, the girl who became my wife, who I was dating, she wasn't a Christian either, and she thought I just flipped out. Now she's dating a Jesus freak. Those were her words. And it was not going well because I was talking to her and telling her about what was happening with me, and she wanted nothing to do with it. So we were two months into it. We were this close to breaking up. One day she came, she came over to my uh, um, uh, dorm room, and I gave her a little track, The Four Spiritual Laws. Anybody remember that one? So I gave her this track to read. I said, hey, check this out. We've been talking and talking. She was totally antagonistic. I said, read it. I'm going to go down the hall and talk to a friend of mine. And I come back, and um, she's read it. And I, I go, well, how? She goes, I prayed the prayer in the back. Flipped me out. I mean, God took a woman who was totally against it. Totally, and just turned her all the way around. She came to Christ. We got married, and we're still married. That's the Spirit using words. And He wants to use you the same way. The same way. Many Christians are scared to death of witnessing. I know that if you're like people in Virginia. It's intimidating. You talk with people, even after you take, you take this how to share your faith course, and you're scared, still scared spitless. Got to be careful of that word. Scared to death. I'll just go with that. <laughs> because to share your faith, it takes courage. It takes humility and boldness and love and wisdom and listening to people, not just preaching at them. It takes all of that. In other words, we have to be like Jesus. But, beloved, take heart. This is exactly what the Spirit is doing in your life, Christian. He's forming you. He's shaping you into the very character of Jesus himself. So that you can learn humility and listening and love and power to be able to say something from time to time. God uses little things, too, in speaking. You don't have to sit them down and say, okay, point number one. Little things. That's the Spirit at work. This is why we need the Spirit. I've, I've joined the Rotary Club where I live in Virginia. They're just to get out of the pastoral bubble so I can talk to somebody that doesn't just speak all the language I know. I've joined, my wife and I have joined the gym so we can engage people, you know, outside of that bubble. We need to do that. And God has used that to open some doors here and there to say a word in season. When you look at the disciples, 
It's pretty amazing, the difference. The before and after thing. Have you ever read the Gospels? I bet you have around here, haven't you? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are one of them anyway. Do you remember? You know what the disciples are like? They are, they are, they, they're, in, they're confused. They're in the dark. And quite frankly, they are. They're scared, especially when you get right to the cross. When Jesus is arrested, what does strong man Peter do? I don't know him. I never seen him. I don't know him. Read the book of Acts and see what happens. These guys, the same dudes, they are transformed. Now they're talking, preaching. Who are these men? I'll tell you who they are. They're the same guys filled with the Holy Spirit, empowered by him. God's using those guys. And they'll turn the world upside down. My friends, it's not really the acts of the apostles. It's the acts of the Spirit of God at work powerfully. Man, I'm encouraged when I read it. Let me say it like this as we close here. It's not enough, beloved. I'm speaking to good Presbyterian Reformed folk, many of you. It's not enough to have correct theological ideas about the Holy Spirit. We can have all of our categories set up and everything and the I's dotted and the T's crossed. Listen, He is given that we might actually experience the powerful presence of Christ. That's what I want. You want that? I've never met a Christian who said, I don't want any more power in my life. Nope. Got it solved. You want more power in your life? I do. (laughs) That's why the Spirit's been given. The Spirit is meant to be encountered, not just affirmed in our creeds as a third person of the Godhead. So set aside the controversy surrounding tongues for a moment. Let's agree that, that here in Acts 2, it's pretty clear they are human languages. And set aside the controversy. I'm not going to solve all that because I don't have all those answers, quite frankly. Just set aside the controversy. Well, is this gift of tongues still available today? Just set that aside for a moment. Here's what I want you to focus on. Surely we can agree on this because this is the heart of the matter. The reason God gave the Spirit, the reason Jesus poured out His Spirit, is so that Christians can be empowered to speak cross-culturally. You with me? You with me? Have you thought of it like this? The very first gift the Spirit gives to His church is what? The very first gift at Pentecost is what? This is not a trick question. (laughs) It is the ability to what? Speak cross-culturally so that the nations hear it. So it must be pretty important when you say, I think it's a pretty big deal to Jesus. This is why folks in Jackson, Mississippi can praise God in good old Mississippian, which is quite different from other languages. So rejoice, my friend. The gospel has come here to Jackson. The Spirit of God has done it. He has used hundreds and thousands and millions of people to bring you the message of the mighty works of God done in Jesus right here. It's an amazing thing we take for granted. How did it get here? 
Whoever you are today, God wants to use your tongue. I didn't say the gift of tongues necessarily. Okay, I'm not saying that. I'm saying he wants to use your tongue to speak. To speak for him. And he wants to give you the power to do so. You know what? Jesus loves it when you come to him in prayer and you say this, Lord, I am scared. I don't know what to say. I don't know how to say it. Lord, help me. That's the kind of prayer he loves. And you say, Lord, I need the power of your spirit. I'm sitting down there, you know, during the service, and I'm, I'm, you know, I got this whole sermon thing worked out, but I'm telling you, I'm sitting there going, Lord, if you don't fill this thing, nothing's going to happen. I don't care how many hours I put into this. Lord, you got to fill it. Lord, I'm asking you to fill it. Pour out your power. He loves that kind of prayer. And he loves to hear it from you. And he wants to hear it from you. Every one of you. No matter your age, no matter your context, no matter your gender. Lord, fill me with your spirit. Today, this morning, this afternoon, tomorrow, use my tongue to declare your glory. That is our great privilege. And just know this. When you fill out a faith promise card and you're giving your resources to this thing we're talking about, just know this. Father, Son, and Spirit are excited about this thing privilege to be involved with it. It's a privilege. And it doesn't stop at Jackson, does it? It just keeps on going. Doesn't it? It's come all the way to you. Pass it along, friend. Let's pray together. Lord Christ, pour out your spirit now on Highlands Presbyterian Church. Encourage us, empower us, speak to us, and use us, we pray. Use this church today, the weeks ahead, and the building program, and all they got going, this staff, these beautiful people. King Jesus, do it for your glory. Amen.